things, well, one of the most important things that God does is that he tangibly touches us. He, he moves in our lives. He, he does things to, to tangibly uh, uh, make his presence known uh, to affect us. And uh, I've seen that over the years uh, in my own life. But one of the things that that I've also seen is that it becomes a question. Um, sometimes it can become a need. But it's always a big factor in our lives. How is God touching us? Is God touching us? Can God touch our hearts? That's something that you know is very, very important to think about uh, when you're praying, when you're meditating, when you're when you're uh, by yourself, when you're corporately praying, you know, can God touch your heart? We're going to look at this and uh, we're going to look at what the Bible says about this. First Samuel chapter 13, I'm going to read one verse and then I'm going to go to chapter 16 and read another verse. Chapter 13, I'm going to read verse 14. If you're there, say Amen. It says, the Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord commanded him to be captain over his people, because you have not kept that which the Lord had commanded you. And then verse 7, chapter 16, we see the culmination of this. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Let's pray tonight. Lord, Father God, I pray tonight that you look on our hearts and that we guard our hearts and that you prepare our hearts, that you sanctify us. Lord, Father God, that you give us clean hearts. And Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come down and that you would bring your grace, your loving kindness, and that it would move us, that our, your Holy Spirit would move us and compel us I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. See, the question is, God, is God able to touch and move your heart? This was a man that God chose. But the story here, uh, while it does lead to something magnificent, it's not magnificent for this man. And I don't believe with all my heart, if I'm honest with you, I don't believe it was magnificent for Samuel. You know, as I start this sermon, I'm going to talk about how God can move our hearts, but I first would rather say to you that, you know, there is a permissibility that has to occur, an availability that has to occur that allows God to speak to you. Samuel loves Saul. That's what the story is about. 
And it took three chapters for Saul to deal with, uh, for Samuel to deal with Saul's failure. Fortunately for, for the people of Israel and fortunately for God, Samuel had a heart for God. Samuel could be moved by God's heart. But he was broken by this. This, this hurt him deeply. And so I don't want you to underestimate how much you can hurt someone when you close your heart. When you don't allow God to move your heart. I don't want to, I'm not going to preach a whole sermon on that tonight. But I wanted to not go through this and, and, and just disregard that aspect of, of the story. Because this story, while it ends triumphantly for the people of Israel through the man of David and through the lineage of David, there is many, many occasions where we see tragedy. Tragedy to good people, just like Samuel. Because people don't allow that permissibility inside of them to be moved by God's Spirit. See, the key to success in life is not the great things you do for God, but what God can do through you as a vessel, as an instrument, as Christ in you, as we say. Being born again, fulfilling his will, having Christ in you. But there are various factors. One of them is, <clears throat> will you got to let God do a work in you? Will you let God speak to you? And will you let God use you? Because a lot of people, they stop at one place or another. And I want to encourage you tonight because I think there's four outstanding attitudes of the heart that you can set. See, I believe that you can set your heart. I believe you can aim your heart. And then God will do the work. God will change you. I know this because I didn't really care about people before I got saved. I wasn't someone who sat at home and was like, hmm, I wonder how Aunt Susie's doing. I didn't do that. I wasn't who I was. And that was one of the things that I had to set inside of my heart, for instance. I had to set my heart to say, you know what, God, give me a heart that will be different, that will be like you. See, this all came to a, 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 a big, you know, head with, with Samuel. And God finally says, you know what, hey, stop looking at the man. And start looking at the heart. That's how he corrected Samuel. And Samuel instantly began to understand that there's something different was going to happen. And then he, of course, would illustrate this by bringing him to Jesse's house. And there would be all these, you know, warriors there. All these men there. The, you know, Jesse had all those sons. But it would be the, the pretty, ruddy one. The slender one. Out in the fields with the sheep. 
not the strongest, not the most talented, an afterthought to his, even, even to his father and, and his family. And this is how God impressed upon us tonight and, and upon Samuel that fateful day what he was going to do. He was going to choose someone who he could do a work in, who he could do a work through. And the reason he was able to choose him is because he had a heart for God. So what does it take? The first thing I think it takes tonight is it takes zeal. He must be zealous for God. This can be the, the place where we all just stop, right? Right when we get, you know, we get saved, we get, we, we have God move in our lives, we, we, we're like, whoa, I never even thought he was real, and this all happens, and then all of a sudden, you know, we have no passion. We're unable to stir ourselves up. Because, you know, it's not an issue of personality or even spirituality tonight, zeal. It's about finding out what the things of God are. Finding out what the kingdom business is and being moved by it. It's about saying to yourself, God, I want to have the same passions that my Savior has. That's where his real zeal comes from. I will tell you, at 5.20, this afternoon, I had no zeal. I was sitting in my bed, knowing I needed to get ready to come to church, and wondering, can I close my eyes for a few more minutes, because I've only been home for 15 minutes, and my kids have been driving me nuts already. That's what I was thinking. But then I looked over at my sermon. I began to read my notes over again. And I began to stir myself. I got into a shower, you know. I began to play Christian music so that I wouldn't be tempted to sit down. I got myself going because the reality of God and God's ways is more powerful than the reality of myself and my ways. And so I don't nearly, nearly tonight have a religious, religious, uh, you know, bend or attitude because that can be affected. By occasions in life. No, I, I have things that create a zeal for God. You see this with David. See, he was zealous for God. You see it in his confrontation, his first big moment in the Bible with Goliath, right? David has this thing going on. He's not supposed to be there, but he's interested in the affairs of Israel and in the affairs of the kingdom and in the affairs of God. He's interested. He wasn't stationed there. He wasn't called to be there. But he was interested. And so he makes up an errand, doesn't he? 
<clears throat> hey, Dad, how about I bring some stuff to my brethren? How about I go to Saul's camp? And then he has to deal with things. He has to deal with criticism. He has to deal with an attitude of intimidation. His brothers are like, what are you doing here? But see, he has a zeal for God. He's stirred up. Seeing those armies that were against Israel on the other side, it began to stir inside of him. And he sees this disgusting Philistine challenge and curse the God of Israel. And that's all he needed. Because David knew God. And he knew what God could do. You know, sometimes your interest will show your zeal. Are you interested in kingdom? What's pastor doing? Wait, are we? Is he going to a street corner? I wonder if there's going to be some people that are going to throw raw meat at him. And all of a sudden, something happens, and you are stirred, and you know God. And it's more than just desperation or self-preservation. You're actually out there with zeal, with zeal. Listen to his response. It's awesome. Verse 45, he says, I come, I think it's, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel, maybe 17. I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defy. I love that. You know, this is, think about it, it's, it's like, it's like, um, you know, Louise walking in, you know, and some pastor's up here preaching false doctrine. And Luis walks in and goes, I come in the name of Victory Chapel and the Lord of hosts whom you defy. That's what we're talking about here. That's what's going on. And it's because he's interested. See, there are issues at stake that are more than just self-image and reputation or even your own glory. It's the testimony of God. That's what affected him. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a verse of scripture that says uh, that all the assembly shall know that the Lord saves, not with a sword or a spear, for the battle is the Lord's. That's David speaking. And David's saying those words because he understands something. It wasn't about his great abilities. It was about the testimony of God. And the outcome, it did something that's even more powerful. And what zeal really does do, it, it stirred people around him, which encouraged him, which made him more prepared take on the challenges that were going to come forward in the coming days. You look at the return of the, the covenant, the return of the ark. I'm not talking about uh, Indiana Jones here, guys. All right? Way before
before Indiana Jones, David went on an adventure to, to fight for the Ark, for the Ark of the Covenant. See, the reason it was so important to him was because the presence of God was his priority. You know, the presence of God was his priority. Some of us, you know, I don't know what you need to do to get you motivated. I don't know what you need to do to have a zeal, but I can tell you something. If you care about the presence of God, you'll begin to fill off the, the opportunities in your life where we can pray together, where we can corporately get a hold of Jesus. And the prayer room will become full again.
truth is, Jesus puts it perfectly. He says, you know, my sheep know my voice. And David had this aspect to his character all the time. This is one of the things that's great about David. He wasn't always right. 1 Samuel 25, you can read it later. There's a story about Nabal and Abigail. Right? Nabal and Abigail, they're a married couple. Nabal is an idiot. Abigail is a great woman. Nabal does something that upsets David. David goes, well, then I'm going to kill him. Abigail goes, that is stupid. That's what she says. She says, that's not wise. Leave him to God. Leave him to God. You have to put that in God's hands. And you know what David does? He goes, thank you. You're right. The guy drops dead the next day. You know, I'm not sitting here telling you that everybody who you have a grudge against is going to drop dead tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> that would make it a little easy. But what I am saying is that David had all this power and all this strength, and he had all these men at his hand. Like, you know, they, they, they did what he said. And he was willing to listen to someone who had no power. Because it was wise, because it was godly advice. You know, so many people, they struggle here. Nowadays, you know, it's, it's the same thing with, with the church. You know, pastors, we don't, we don't have high standing anymore. We're not, you know, nobody's like, oh, there's a pastor. Wow, wait, open the door. Hold on. You know, I don't, I don't walk into, you know, uh, fries and they're like, oh, yeah, wait, pastor's coming in. Come on, guys. Get out of the way. You know, let me buy, buy, buy your food for you. No, that doesn't happen. So the truth is that you have to have, you're going to have to have an attitude that says, you know, is Pastor speaking word God, the word of God? Is he is he giving me godly advice? If he is, then 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 I'm going to show that I have heart for God by listening to him. And I can tell you something. You know, one of the things that is is, is amazing is that God is looking at your heart. I can give you guys average advice. Not great advice, average advice. Maybe I'm not as experienced as some other pastor. But can I tell you something? If your heart for God is right and my heart for God is right, God will bless that advice. Amen. He'll bless it. Amen. And other pastors will be like, I can't believe that works. <laughs> right? You know? Because, listen, we're, we're people. And that's you know, the biggest thing, guys, that will change your life is when you're confronted with your own sin or with issues in your heart. Don't be like other people. Don't be like bitter people. Don't be like angry people and unforgiving people. Be like David. You know, Nathan came there in front of his, right there in front of everybody and said, you know, you're evil, dude. What you've done is evil. And he was able to he was able to process that. And that's because he really cared about God. And it takes courage to do that. It takes courage on Nathan's part. <laughs> Too much water. I've never done that before. All right. <laughs> Truth is, 
See, a lot of people would get indignant. They would get defensive. And what happens when you do that is you become a hypocrite. And you become hypocritical, and you end up uh, not having a heart for God anymore. You give up your heart for God. Because self-will runs wild, rising inside of you. The last two things are, are, are things that I think will really help us tonight. And one of them is a real simple one, guys. Uh, having a heart for God means you have a heart for people. You have to have um, uh, the ability to uh, draw people to you. Uh, this is what David had. David had the ability to draw men to him. He could draw them in. Because he had a heart for them, because he cared about them, he was sincere. It wasn't just leadership abilities, but it was the fact that he he wanted them. To, you know, you know. You think about the first group of guys that David took. He took he took the the, the losers. He took the outcasts because he had a spirit to redeem them. He had a heart that said, you know, I'll, I can I can have a redemptive. Uh, uh, place in these guys' lives. You know? He had a he had a, a heart to redeem people and what he created was mighty men that had valor. You know, who he took were like fugitives. They were debtors. I put a, a bunch of a list here. They were renegades. Those aren't good things. But he took them. You know? He took them in, and he had a heart for those people. He took them all in. He said, come on in. Come. And he linked his heart to theirs. He was willing to risk his life with them. And they began to risk their lives with him. Even his own son, Absalom, conspired against him. Horrible, horrible sin against his own father. David wept in his head. He didn't gloat. He didn't say, oh yeah, look what happens to people who don't follow God. He wept for it. And that's because he wasn't he wasn't motivated by any kind of vengeance. He was motivated by a heart for God and the things of God. He knew Absalom was safe. He knew that Absalom was all alone and he died. Jonathan's son, his name is Mephibosheth, uh, I think. Mephibosheth. Yeah. And he was honored by David. He had an honored relationship with David didn't have to do that. He was a cripple. He was a, the son of someone who had done horrible things. Or the grandson, I should say, of someone who had done horrible things. And yet, David <clears throat> turned con uh, his kindness and honored that relationship that he had with Jonathan. He made a point of it. He didn't have anything to gain from that. There was no advantage in that. There was no advantage to him. But he did it. 
that's something that changes when you really, really want to have a heart for God. You, you, you're not looking at advantages anymore. You're not looking at what's best for you. You're looking at what's best for people. And that's what will create a liberality. And that's the last thing that I have here listed tonight is, is a liberality. You know, David started and instituted many things in the Bible. One of them happened in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. He, he said that he was going to give burnt offerings and peace offerings and blessings for the people. He did extra. He added on things liberally as a king. You know, I would love... <coughs> I would love it if we had a presidential candidate who was like, you know what? Not only am I going to do these things that I promise you, but I'm going to throw five million in the bucket. I'm going to do it. Because that's what David did. That was David's attitude. David made sure that the preparations for Solomon to build the temple were there for him. Even though God wouldn't permit him to do it, David said, I'm going to make sure I do it. I'm going to set him up. And then what happens? That liberality makes room for God to release liberality. As I, as I preached, as I preached tonight, uh, during the offering, the liberal soul shall be made fat. That means that a giving heart, a giving attitude is made healthy. It increases. That's what it's trying to say. And then read this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully, every man according to his purposes in his heart. So let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have all sufficiency in all things, may abound every good work. Sometimes you're going to sit here and you're going to have a realization. It's going to be a hard one. You don't have what you need. And you're going to wonder, how do I get what I need? You're going to get what you need by being liberal in all things. By having a liberality towards the things of God. And when you do that, God can make you healthy. He can make up for areas in your life where, where you're lacking. And those prayers, they become realities. You know, I, I know that it's hard sometimes to believe that God's promises for your life can actually come out the way you want them to. But I will tell you one thing. There is no better feeling in the world than knowing that you have a heart for God. And those things that maybe seem so important to you today, that seem so vital, that seem so distressing, they all fade away when God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because one day we're going to stand before him and he's going to be looking right at our hearts with all of his heart. And that's what's going to make the difference.
that's what you're going to be grateful for. Let me give me hip out and maybe I close in this place. In honor of God and reverence to your neighbor. The Bible says that the sins of a man, they, they, they're like weight on their shoulders. They're